Merry Christmas. Good to see all of you this morning. We're glad you're here at the Oasis. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 26 this morning, as we continue our series looking at the Christmas story from Luke's perspective. While you're finding that, just a couple of reminders. Wednesday, December the 18th, 6.30 p.m., meet here at the church. We're going Christmas caroling for any of you that would be interested and then come back to the church that night for some yummy Christmas treats and Christmas cookies and hot chocolate and all that good stuff. So that's Wednesday, December the 18th, exactly one week before Christmas. And then Tuesday, December the 24th at 7 p.m. is our annual Christmas Eve candlelight service right here as well. And that's for the entire family will be here. There will be no child care provided. The, the children come in with us that night. They get glow sticks. We get candles. Uh, we have a wonderful time of worship. And then we spend a little time in the word again, looking at the birth of Jesus Christ and all the events surrounding it. So we hope you keep those two dates in mind, Wednesday, December the 18th and Tuesday, December the 24th. Throughout this month, we want to reignite within all of us the wonder of Christmas. As we look at what God did and his plan and how he orchestrated and implemented that plan, hopefully it will stir within us a sense of awe and wonder again about Christmas and, and what Christmas means to each of us and how especially after we invite Jesus Christ into our life to be our personal savior, how Christmas is never quite the same ever again, how it's celebrated much differently in our lives and in our family's life whenever we come to know the Jesus that came for us and that we know him personally. So I want us to always keep that in mind as we go through our songs that we're singing of, of worship and, and getting that sense of awe and wonder from the words that we're singing and who we're singing about and what we're singing about. And I also want us to get and keep that sense of wonder as we go through the Gospel of Luke for this next month looking at, at the Christmas story. But also we talked last week as we began to examine the parents of John the Baptist, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then eventually John the Baptist, how in God's plan, he always works through people, people just like you and I, and that he didn't just come to save us. He came to save us so that we could be in a relationship with him so that we could serve him throughout our life and grow through our serving him, and that he had a plan for each of us to serve him in his kingdom on earth right now, if you will, in that spiritual kingdom that Jesus is building right now on this earth. And so I want us to keep that in mind as well. As we look at the Christmas season, remembering that the ultimate servant came from heaven and came to earth to serve us. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many that you and I are called to serve the Lord as well. And what does that look like right now? And what is he asking us to do? And what is he preparing us for? And are we saying yes to what God is moving and doing in our lives? But I also want us to see this, especially as we start this morning. 
So often as just human beings, when we look back on historical events or on history, we can tend to romanticize it. We even as Christians can do that with the Christmas story. We, we can make it look all nice and neat and smell really good and look really good and we forget of what God really was asking of this young couple and what they were, where they were going to bring Jesus into the world in and what little they had of this world's goods to do it. And in fact, let me say this. There will not be probably one of us this year that on Christmas morning will not have 10 times, maybe 100 times more just around the tree than what Jesus had at the first Christmas. So often I think we even get caught up with Christmas is about, you know, we get caught up in the stuff of Christmas. And yet, when you think about the first Christmas, they didn't have any of that stuff. And yet, it was truly celebrated. And there's not a one of us that, again, probably doesn't have a hundred times more than what Mary and Joseph had in order to make that first Christmas possible. So I hope also that we'll sort of just maybe re-examine our priorities and our perspective and all of that and really realize what does it really mean to celebrate Christmas and to make Christmas really come alive in our hearts this year. Well, let's start this morning with the angel's announcement to Mary about what God's plan was for her. And notice we begin in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, where Luke writes, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. A couple things here we learn about the wonder of God and the wonder of Christmas and the plan of God and serving God. First of all, this young gal, this young, very young teenage gal. I mean, in our minds today, we would be horrified, but in that culture, it was really not unusual for a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl to be betrothed or engaged to, to a, a guy and for them then to spend a year in betrothal and then the next year to be married in that culture. But obviously, regardless of you know, that that's a little bit different than today. Still, the fact that God is literally choosing a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl to have this privilege and responsibility, it reminds us not only about, again, the wonder of God, but serving God. And, and I hope especially you young people that are here today, but even those of us that are older and much older than 13, 14, 15, we realize when it comes to the plan of God and serving God, age doesn't matter. Amen. You and I can glorify God and serve him no matter what age, as long as we have a personal relationship with him, which Mary did. Amen. Then there's the town of Nazareth. You want to talk about obscure. In that day, it is estimated that the town of Nazareth was a whopping 400 population. 400 people. 
And yet God knew that that was there. And God knew that that young virgin teenager lived in Nazareth. And he noticed her. In fact, later on, even in her praise of the Lord, over in verse 48 of Luke 1, she says, I'm praising you, one, because you've looked upon the humble state of your servant. You saw me. Maybe nobody else noticed me. But God, you noticed me in this huge universe that you created, in this huge world that you created with so many other major cities even 2,000 years ago like Athens and Rome and, and all of those great major cities of the ancient world, Constantinople, that here in this little town of 400 people, God saw Mary. That's the wonder of God. And that should also be an encouragement to us. We don't get lost with God. God doesn't lose touch of us and what's happening in our lives and where we are. He always is very much in touch with us. And even though we might not think that no one else is seeing me and no one else is hearing me and no one else is noticing me, God does. And there are no obscure places with God. There are no little people and little places with God. It's all big to God because God loves each of us. He cares about us. We are his special creation. And he wants to not only have a personal relationship with each of us, but he wants to give us the privilege of being able to serve him as his servant. Well, notice the angel Gabriel comes in verse 28 to her and says, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. The word favored here means to be showered with grace. That's what it means to be favored of God. In a sense, what God is going to ask of this young teenage gal is going to be very difficult. In fact, you and I can't even begin to fathom how difficult this assignment is that God is asking of this 13, 14, 15-year-old girl. I mean, first of all, let's review. She's a virgin, but she's going to become pregnant supernaturally by the working of God, and yet, really, for the rest of her life, there are going to be the majority of people who think she was unfaithful. They're not going to buy the fact that she got pregnant by the Holy Spirit, sure. I mean, would we even buy that today? You know, sure, you got pregnant by the Holy Spirit, right? No, so she's going to have to carry that with her. And then she starts to wonder, well, you want me to do this, Lord, but... What about the guy I'm engaged to? Is he going to buy into this? Is he going to accept this? How's he going to feel about this? Is he going to be okay with this? Oh, and then because we're so poor, neither one of us really have two nickels to rub together, as they say. How are we going to provide? And how's all that going to happen? You know. And we haven't even got to the part that we're going to get to next week where God's going to ask her to have this baby in basically a place where there's just animals and where she's going to have to lay her precious firstborn son in a feeding trough that was built for animals to use to feed out of? Would you moms like to start out 
your life with your firstborn that way, in that kind of a situation. And yet, God is saying to her from the very beginning of inviting her to be a part of his plan and to serve him in this way, I'm going to shower you with grace so that you understand, Mary, that whatever I'm asking of you, I will give you the grace from me to be able to do what I'm asking you to do. And the reason this is so important for us to grasp about the first Christmas story is God hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Whatever God is asking each of us to navigate in our life, whatever his will is, no matter how maybe easy it is or in Mary's case, how difficult it is, God promises us, I will give you my grace to do it. So that you don't have to do it in your own power and strength. You will do it under the supernatural enablement and empowerment of God. And as we've learned throughout our study of God's word over the years, God's grace is always sufficient. Amen. Always sufficient. Which is why down through the years we've had songs written about God's amazing grace and wonderful grace and, you know, all that about the grace. Because it is, when you and I experience the grace of God, there's nothing like it. But notice the angel goes even further and says, not only are you going to be showered with grace, Mary, to do this assignment, but the Lord will be with you. And that speaks about his transformative presence in our lives. We talked about this Wednesday night, which amazes me how many times what I'm talking about Wednesday night at Bible study then comes back up again on Sunday or vice versa. But God doesn't just want to hang out with us. Just even like today. God doesn't want to just come here and, in a sense, fill the auditorium with us just so we know, oh yeah, God's here. No, when God's presence comes into our life or into our church's life, God wants to settle in such a way that we're changed by his presence, that we're transformed by his presence. It speaks about the after effects of being with God. So when you and I worship God, when you and I come to the house of God, when we pray, when we read his word, all of these things, we should leave our time in God's presence different than when we walked in. Because God doesn't just hang with us. God wants to change us and transform us. God wants to strengthen us and comfort us and, and all of these different things. That's what his presence means. That's why it's so important that we experience the presence of God and pursue the presence of God in our life. Because it's not just to be a feel-good, wrap your arm around, that's great, but God wants more than that. God wants to transform us. And so the angel's saying, Mary, you don't have to worry about this. God's in all the details of this, and he will give you his grace. And as you allow him to come more and more into your life, he will be with you in a way that he will transform even who you are right now. And he will raise the level of, of, of you, in a sense, personally, so that you can manage all these difficult things that, that's going to be handed to you over these next years of your life. So, verse 29, she was greatly troubled by his words and began to wonder about the meaning of his greeting. So the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. And isn't that probably the biggest thing that keeps all of us and would have kept Mary from saying yes to the Lord? Fear. So many Christians today 
are not serving, are not doing in their life what God really designed them for and what he desires for them and, and what his plan and will and purpose is because of fear. We fear stepping up and stepping out and stepping in front. We fear putting ourselves out there because we're afraid of failing or we're afraid of what others will say or what others will think about us or how we, you know, we'll set ourselves up for criticism and judgment and all these different things. And oh, by the way, from somebody who served the Lord as a pastor for 35 years, all that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, well, when you put yourself out there to serve the Lord, you know, nobody's going to say anything and everything's going to go smooth and you'll never have any issues. No, but if that's what the Lord wants for us, then we need to set aside our fear and be willing to embrace it. Because here's the thing. In serving the Lord, there, there's very few things that you and I will do in our life that will accelerate our spiritual growth, that, that will spur us on to go from one level of glory to another, like serving him, you see. And so he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Well, how did she find favor with God? How, what does that mean? Because first of all, he says to her, you are favored, meaning God's going to shower you with his grace. What's it mean you found favor? It meant this. When God was looking over the earth and looking at all those young teenage girls who were virgins on the earth, he was looking for one like Mary that had been receptive and responsive to him already in her life. That's how she found favor with God. Is it through her young life, when God moved, she responded. When God asked her to do something, she was receptive. See, again, it shows that even from a very early age, you and I can start building that, that habit, if you will, uh, uh, and that routine of, of when God asks us to do something, we say yes. And when God is moving, we're responding. We're not just sitting there, not, you know, participating or, or whatever, but, but we're engaged with God. And that's who God's looking for today. God is not going to look around and, and look for somebody that has not been receptive or responsive up to this point and then tap them for some privileged responsibility in his kingdom. No, God's going to look for those who are already being responsive and, and, and being receptive to his spirit inside of them. And then God will come back and keep raising the level more and more. Now, what God wants to do with those that haven't gotten there is just start being responsive to God Start being receptive to God, and guess what? You'll start seeing God come back into your life and start allowing you and calling you to do more and more and more because that's the way it works. And that's why it's a spiritual thing at first because only God knows our heart. Only God sees how responsive we've been to him lately, how receptive we've been to his leading and his working and his spirit in our life. Are we... Are we always saying no when God comes to us and taps us for something? Or are we saying yes? And see, what this passage is teaching us is even this young, young teenage girl 
had already been saying yes to God in her life throughout her childhood and early teenage years. That's who God's looking for today. No different. Again, God hasn't changed in 2,000 years. So he says, listen, verse 31, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. Just like with John, the angel was going to come and give her the detail of even, you don't even have to worry about, you and Joseph don't have to even think about what you're going to name the child. God's going to name this child. His name is Jesus. And even in that name, it means only God can save <laughs> Jehovah is salvation. Yahweh saves. In other words, only God can save. You and I can't save anybody or anything, but God can save anything and anyone. Amen. Then he goes on to say, basically in verses 32, 33, oh, by the way, if you haven't already realized this, you're going to be the mother and give birth to the Messiah. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever and his kingdom will never end. Yes, Mary, you, out of everyone on earth, you are the one that will be the mother of the Messiah. Can, I mean, can you imagine what that young girl, what was going through her mind and heart? Well, we sort of get a glimpse. Because unlike all the other things that could have filled her mind, that even young girl knew how babies were made. So notice in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? Now, unlike Zechariah, who questioned the angel Gabriel, because I know some of you are already going there, right? Here's the difference. Zechariah was expressing unbelief and doubt in what God was asking of he and Elizabeth. Mary is not expressing a lack of faith or unbelief here. She doesn't want proof like Zechariah. She simply, as a young teenage girl, wants understanding. That's all she wants. I'm a girl. You need a guy to get pregnant. Uh, I have no relationships yet. So how, God, how's that going to happen? And the angel honored that and, and gave her a little bit deeper understanding, at least as much as you and I as human beings can grasp. Because again, even though God can give us a little bit of insight, you and I still get to the place with God many times where our jaw just drops open and we go, okay. I don't really get it all, but okay, I'm going to trust you. And so the angel says, okay, Mary, here's how you're going to get pregnant and have a child without ever having relationships intimately with another man. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. It means he will be operating inside of you. In fact, we could say even at this point, practically, he's going to perform a spiritual operation inside of you. Okay? And then the power of the Most High will overshadow you, literally envelop or enrobe you. In other words, Gabriel's saying to Mary, and God's going to wrap you up in a power blanket. 
You're going to be wrapped up in his power. And the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, the third person of the Trinity, is going to start operating inside of you. And that's how you're going to get pregnant and bear a child even though you've never had relationship with another man. Can I tell you again? God may not be asking any of us to have children supernaturally, but again, God hasn't changed in 2,000 years, which is why you and I should say yes and step up when God asks us to serve him because God promises the same thing to you and I today as New Testament believers. Whenever we are willing to follow God's will, guess what? God does the same two things with us. First of all, the Holy Spirit that lives within us is always operating and working. And there, the presence of God is always there for us inside of us. And his power, his supernatural power that, that brought Jesus into the world through a virgin and that raised Jesus from the dead is always available to us. So the same things that were available to Mary to carry out this very difficult plan in God's will is the same things that are available to us today. The presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. Amen. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And look, your relative Elizabeth has also become pregnant with the son in her old age, although she was called barren, and she is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. If you remember no other verse or no other phrase from the Word of God today, I hope that you will either carry that verse, memorize that verse, meditate on that verse, maybe do all the above in these days and weeks and months ahead of your life. Nothing will be impossible with God. Amen. Do you believe that today? Do you trust in that? Do you rest in that? Folks, this is a theme that runs throughout the Bible. That's why God calls us to faith in him. Not because it's possible with us, but because it's possible with him. Let's go back to the first time this was used in the Bible. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? And God comes to Abraham and Sarah and says, you're going to have a son supernaturally because you're way past childbearing age too. And remember what Sarah did? She laughed. And the Lord was there with Abraham and said, why did Sarah laugh? And you know what else then he said after that? He said, is anything impossible for the Lord? No, it's not. And then later on, in the book of Jeremiah, God asked Jeremiah to buy this parcel of land in the Holy Land, basically. And Jeremiah is like, God, uh, it's not even our land anymore. We're, we've been taken over by our enemies. We're, we're in exile. What, I can't see any way where this land is ever going to be in our possession again. I mean, look around. Look at the condition of the world today. Look how hopeless things are. Look how your people are so disobedient to you and we're scattered all over. Why? And God says, because I'm going to bring you back one day and this is going to be your land. And then God said this, I am the Lord of all humanity. There is indeed nothing too difficult for me, Jeremiah. 
calling Jeremiah to faith. Jeremiah, you need to trust me. You may not see it, but I'm not asking you to live by sight. I'm asking you to live by faith in me and in what I've told you. And then in the New Testament, Jesus is talking to his followers about salvation. And they're coming to realize how hard, in fact, it's a miracle that any of us as human beings ever get saved to begin with. And so they say, well, Lord, if that be the case, who could ever be saved? And Jesus' response is, what is impossible for mere humans is possible with God. And every last one of us sitting here or standing here in this auditorium today who has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are a walking miracle, and we are an example of the power of God in our life. That anything is possible with God. Anything. In fact, I even stand before you at least twice a week as your pastor, letting you also know by my own example that not only uh, can God do impossible things to save us, but God can do impossible things with people to serve him. Because if you and I, if you would have known me back 40, 45 years ago, I'd have been the last person you would have expected to be up here on this platform preaching God's word to you every week. So I tell you, Wednesdays and Sundays, just by me being here, anything's possible with God. Amen. Anything. But you got to believe that. Mary had to believe that. She had to believe that for herself. So here's real cool. I want to mention this before we get to her hymn of praise. In verse 39, after this, Notice, or excuse me, verse 38, this is huge. Notice what Mary says. Three little letters, one word, yes. So Mary said yes. That's all God's looking for today. When he comes into our life, whether he's moving in our lives through the Holy Spirit or however God is moving circumstantially or providentially in our life, God just wants to get us to a place where like this young teenage girl who I'm sure has all these what-ifs and how's all this going to happen and all this, that she still said yes because she trusted that with God all things were possible. Amen. Do you have that kind of faith? that this young teenage girl had, just simply to say yes. I am a servant of the Lord. Wow. Can I tell you, she puts a lot of us Christians to shame who have been, who have been saved and known the Lord a lot longer than this young lady. Because again, she had that simple, if you will, childlike faith just to trust in what the Lord said and who he was without having to have it all figured out and all laid out before her and you know all of that she was still obviously afraid and all that but she stepped up and she said to God through the angel yes God I'll do it I'll do it let this happen to me according to your word and then the angel departed then the Bible says in verse 39, in those days Mary got up and went hurriedly into the hill country to a town of Judah and entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. And we're not going to take a lot of time to go through the interaction that Mary had with Elizabeth, but I do want to say this because I think it's very practical for us. 
There are times where when God, you know, is working or whether maybe life is crazy or whatever, and this is why God obviously wants us to first come to him, but by, why God understands that we also need other human beings in our life too. Because I believe that one of the main reasons why Mary went to be with Elizabeth was because she wanted to find some comfort and strength and encouragement in the fellowship of someone else. And you and I need that every once in a while. We just need to sit across or spend time with another human being because God is going to use them to bring encouragement, strength, and comfort to our lives because we're going through a pretty big experience right now. And we don't want to feel like we're all alone going through this. And we know that the Lord is with us. It doesn't discount that, but God understands we need those flesh and blood people around us too. And so Mary spent some time with Elizabeth. The Bible tells us that that through the Spirit of God that the baby John recognized that this was the mother of the Messiah, and it reminds us that the Spirit of God recognizes the Spirit of God, even though there might not have been any formal introductions or anything. You and I know what that's like. You, you and I have been in public where we've never been introduced to another Christian, another believer, and yet there's like something there. And maybe even as you begin to greet each other, it's like, you thought, I, I bet they're a Christian. I, I bet they know the Lord. You, you can just sort of, the, the Spirit just sort of lets you in on that. That's what was happening here. But I love what Elizabeth says in verse 45. She says, blessed is she who believed that what was spoken to her by the Lord would be fulfilled. That word belief means to respond in faith. She says, God blesses those who respond to him in faith. And by the way, the word blessed here means he'll make sure that she has everything she needs to carry out what God's asking her to do. He'll provide. That's part of his blessing. Is that if you and I are willing to say yes to God and whatever God is asking us to do, God will bless us in the sense he will provide our need for whatever he's asking us to do. Amen. So guess what? The Bible records that Mary is just overwhelmed with awe and wonder of who her God is and what God's inviting her to be a part of. And you would think at this moment, a 13, 14, 15-year-old young lady who's just been confronted with this unbelievable news that, it, that all that could come out of her mouth is talking about herself, <laughs> right? No, no. As she begins to worship and praise the Lord, verse 46 through 55 is all about God. It's all about God, which to me gives me a hint of another reason why God tapped her, <laughs> because he knew that this even very young gal was not going to make this and what he's asking her to do to promote herself, to put the spotlight on herself, but Again, like we talked about with John the Baptist last week, when the spotlight was on her, she was going to direct it and reflect it to God. Amen. And so notice her words. Mary said, first of all, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has begun to rejoice in God, my Savior. couple things. Notice the word soul and spirit. You know where worship starts with God? It doesn't start on the outside in. It starts on the inside out. 
Mary, even as a young lady, realized the importance of feeding her soul and her spirit so that her life and her service and her worship all was out of the overflow of getting filled up on the inside first. Often, we make the mistake of focusing on the externals rather than on the internal. Mary, no. God, I want you to fill me up because so many of us starve our soul. We starve our spirit. We make sure that we have everything physically and materially and all of that, but we don't take time to fill up our spirit and our soul every day. And no wonder then we can't really get anything out for worship or for service or whatever because we're starving ourselves internally. Mary said it starts on the inside and works its way out. And then notice she acknowledges that God is a God who saves. Mary needed saved just like the rest of us did. And so she acknowledges God as her Savior. Notice in verse 48, I referenced this earlier, that not only is he a God who saves, he's a God who sees because he's looked upon the humble state of his servant. It doesn't matter how much you and I have or how little we have. God sees our heart. And we don't need a lot of stuff to be a great servant of God. Mary and Joseph are great examples of that. They had nothing as far as this world goes, and yet we still revere them today and speak of their faith and their following the Lord's will, you see. Some of you feel like you don't have enough, whether it's enough talent or enough ability or enough gifting or enough material resources to serve the Lord. Get your eyes off of you and get it on the God with whom all things are possible. God doesn't need all of us. God just wants us to make ourselves available to him and he'll take care of the rest. From now on, all generations will call me blessed because he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. We'll come back to that in just a moment. From generation to generation, he is merciful to those who fear him. Notice not only God saves and God sees but God is strong. He has demonstrated power with his arm. He's scattered those whose pride wells up from the sheer arrogance of their hearts. Then verse 52, God is sovereign. He's brought down the mighty from the thrones and lifted up those of lowly position. Verse 53, God satisfies. He fills the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. And then finally, verse 54, God supports. He helps his servant Israel, remembering his mercy as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. His, her worship and praise is all about God and who he is and what he's done. By the way, I didn't even realize this till the very last time that I've studied this for this particular series of messages, that this psalm of praise and worship is saturated with scripture from the Old Testament. Mary is using seven, seven different parts of the psalms in this which also teaches us that Mary, as young as she was, was a student of the Old Testament scriptures. And that all she needed to do was be faithful to read and study God's word that she had at that point. And then when God was working in her and all of that, the spirit could take that understanding and that knowledge and literally put it together into a worship song and praise song to the Lord. Amen. God wants to do the same thing today. 
you see. But I want you to go back to verse 49. This is such a key point. He who is mighty has done great things. Notice these next two words in the net translation, for me. Why is that important? Because today even, and I'm sure it's been this way for 2,000 years since Mary, there's so many times where even as God followers and as God's people, we believe God can do great things for everybody else or in everybody else, or through everybody else, but we really don't take it to ourselves that he can do that in me, and that he can do that through me, and that he can do that for me. We believe it for everybody else, but we never accept it or receive it for us. And the key here in this passage today is that this young lady not only trusted God enough, even though she had no clue what was really coming, to say yes to God's will and plan for her life, but she was willing to acknowledge God can do this through me as much as he can anybody. And so I'm going to accept that. I'm going to receive, I'm going to have the faith that God loves me just as much as he does anybody, that God cares about me as much as he does anybody, that God wants me to serve him as much as he does anybody, that God wants to work in and through me as much as anybody, that God wants to bring glory to himself in me as much as anybody. So she says, yes, he who has done, who is mighty, has done great things for me. Amen. We've got to get to that point, that as a church, we believe God wants to do great things through the oasis just like he would any church. That God wants to do great things because he was mighty. He's done great things for me, through me, in me. That we've got to trust that and believe that. And going back to what Mary said in verse 38, just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The wonder of Christmas. That this young lady probably no more than 15 years of age, said yes to what the angel told her God wanted to do. And, and let me say this. Let's be reminded of something. Mary had no clue. I mean, she might have got a little extra understanding from the angel as much as she could understand and wrap her head around as far as how she was going to become pregnant without a man. But she had no clue what laid ahead of her, how hard and how difficult it was going to be. She, she didn't know that, you know, she was going to have her baby in some animal stable or cave down there in Nazareth and going to have to lay the Messiah in a feeding trough? She didn't know that yet. She didn't know all the heartache of having to run from Herod because he was going to start killing babies two years and under and that her baby, her precious firstborn, was going to be the target of, of a, an assassination attempt, in a sense, by a rival political you know, figure in the ancient world. She didn't know that yet that they were going to be on the run for most of his early life, living in Egypt and not even back in their hometown. She didn't know what it meant that all these people would start gossiping about her and whispering behind her back, many of them for the rest of her life, because she was willing to take on this role. 
She didn't comprehend all that at this point. And she certainly had no clue at this point that some 30 years later, she was going to watch her precious firstborn son murdered in front of her on a cross. She had no idea that that was coming. And yet she said, yes. In just a moment, we're going to end with a song of wonder. A song entitled, Mary, Did You Know? Many of you have heard it around Christmas especially. What we learn from that song is not only does that song should fill us with the wonder of what God has done, but the fact that Mary didn't know. She did not know all that was ahead of her, but she still said yes. And guess what? Why that's important is that's exactly how God operates in our life today. Again, no different 2,000 years later. When Jeff Royce and his family moved out to Arizona, God didn't tell me on the way over here, oh, by the way, five years after you're there, you're going to start a church. Or I'd have said, no, I'm not moving. I'm staying over here on the East Coast. Thank you very much. And then once, you know, I said yes to starting this church almost 10 years ago. If I'd have known what these 10 years have been like, I'd have probably said, nope, not, nope, not doing it. Because God doesn't work that way. All God says is just trust me one step at a time. Because my grace, I'll shower you with my grace and I will be with you so that whatever you, you know, have to deal with, you can do it through me. But I'm not going to tell you the whole plan up front. And we as Christians, especially because many of us are control freaks, that's why we don't ever surrender to God's will because we want to see God lay out the whole thing for us before we take that first step of faith. And God never works that way. Remember, the Jordan River did not part until the priests put their feet into the river first. God has to see that we are willing to trust him and in what his plan is for us. And then he will start to unfold and strengthen us for the journey. So here's what I'm asking all of us. As we sing this final song this morning, this song that reminds us of the wonder of God and the wonder of the Christmas story, that we would also be reminded that even though Mary did not know, she didn't have a clue of all that laid ahead of her, she said yes. And God is just simply looking for hearts today, here, right now, in this auditorium, who will say, yes. It might be the beginning of a new thing with God. It may be you are in the middle and just need to keep going. It might be at the end and you're about ready to throw in the towel and God said, just keep going just a little bit further. Just say yes. Would you say yes to the Lord this morning? Let's stand and pray. <clears throat> God, we thank you that you come to us, whether we're a young virgin in a little town named Nazareth, whether you're a young man in a city in western Maryland, or Lord, wherever we're from and whatever our past is, God, and you invite us to be part of what you're doing on this earth. And you are looking for people Men, women, young, old, it, 
a new believer, an, an older believer. It doesn't matter, God. None of that matters. All that matters is that we would have a heart that would be responsive and receptive to you, that in the wonder of who you are, we simply agree with what the angel said. Nothing is impossible with you, God, and we will say yes to you, and we will begin this journey and this walk with you, God, today. So God, would you come and move amongst us today? Would you be here with us today, God, not just to hang with your people, but to transform us, God? to make us more like you and to trust you, God, more than we've ever trusted you before. Because if there is an underlying message of the Christmas story from the human perspective, from, from Joseph and Mary's perspective, it is simply that, God, you are still looking for people just like Joseph and Mary who will say yes to you, God, whatever your will is for us. Help us, God, to say yes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.